Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics via honest conversation. This week we're going to be looking at Alzheimer's. Today's guest is the owner of CrossFit Watford. Prior to that, she played Premiership Rugby for Saracens and was in the Ireland squad for a season. But the reason I have her today is she's also the person behind an amazing and very moving Instagram account called Day in the Life of Laws, which documents her mum's early onset Alzheimer's and dementia. Without further ado, let me introduce to you Hat Hewitt and let's get cracking with the episode. Hello. Hi, Clemmie. Thanks for asking me on. I, I, I'm really, really pleased that you did this because I can. It's a, it's a tricky thing to talk about, but I think it's such an important thing to talk about. And actually, you're. I was in a weird thing where I was following both of your kind of worlds. I was following you through CrossFit Watford and Map and and your the um, Alzheimer's account and I hadn't kind of put the two together but I've ne- not really seen anyone documenting Alzheimer's in the way that you're doing and I think well I mean it's it's really difficult watching which it means it must be a million times more difficult to be living through it tell me a bit about I mean, talk to me about your mum, I guess, is what I want to know. Who she was prior to this, her diagnosis, and and where she's at now. Mm -hmm. So my mum was diagnosed in her late 50s. um, And initially, there was a lot of like back and forth with the GP about it being um, depression. And it hadn't even been considered she had Alzheimer's because of her age, obviously being well under 60. It just hadn't even been thought about. And me and my sisters kind of took it upon ourselves to do a little bit of research and ended up basically self-diagnosing mum with a rarer form of dementia called PCA. And that's when the um, the brain disease basically starts at the back of the brain and it affects things like vision and motor skills. And so the first things we start to notice with mum is like she'd maybe put a coat on backwards and she was occasionally or more than occasionally bumping her car, like crashing it into things. Um, losing things like couldn't find her keys in her bag and I was like they're just right here mum it was silly things like that initially and so there was a lot of back and forth with the GP eventually sort of had to lock myself in his office and say look I want my mum to go and get proper scans there's definitely something wrong with her so we went to UCLH and she had the various tests and scans and she was very much in denial she was very upset going in often write little notes in her book on the on the train journey in about like how old she was and when her birthday was because she kind of thought she was being tested 
and she she took it a little bit to heart I think in that we were kind of trying to find something wrong with her and she was obviously in denial about it um so eventually she got um her results back and it was as we suspected it was PCA um but ultimately all Alzheimer's they are just brain diseases and there's just different forms of brain disease and so mum now has she's 65 now and her Alzheimer's very very progressed she's in the later stages and it just spreads through the brain anyway so it starts in one part of the brain and so it's considered a type of Alzheimer's like PCA or Lewy body whatever it might be and then as the, the disease progresses you become more acquainted with what you would typically see in Alzheimer's like memory loss um for loss of speech um things like that so mum can't really talk now even in the early years she struggled to string like sentences she would lose words and forget what words were needed she didn't know days and dates and times basically within her first few months of being diagnosed so those things went really really quickly um motor skills was the most tricky one because she was almost totally dependent on me and my sisters in the really early years because she couldn't really dress herself she obviously was unable to drive but her license was taken away from her as soon as she was diagnosed um, and so we became her chauffeurs, we became her dressers, we became her chefs. Like, we literally had to do pretty much everything for mum from the very get-go. And we developed and grew with the disease. We were always like, we won't do this, we won't do that. And you just do, you just do take on the things as they come. Because it's not all of a sudden, it's not, oh, by tomorrow she suddenly needs this. It was a really gradual process. And as the years passed, we just became her full-time carers and we did everything we did her washing her dressing her feeding all sorts of things we obviously had to do all her phone calls with the doctor and get various medications so so many things to think of and no one really to help you along the way you kind of just have to figure it out unfortunately and there's a lot of trial and error being a carer especially for someone you love because you obviously want the best for them um and now she's in her later stages, as I said, she's 65. Um, she doesn't know any of us at all. She doesn't speak. Um, she's very stooped because she's had a few falls now. So she's ultimately ended up with this very hunched position, which she can't correct. Um, and we recently put her in a memory care facility where she is looked after 24 seven, um, medicated correctly. Everything is sort of done as it needs to be done rather than me constantly chasing the NHS up for things that weren't necessarily happening in the right sort of time frames for mum. So that was obviously a really, really hard step for me and my sisters and something we were very much averse to doing, especially in the early years. We almost made a pact that we would never do it. But unfortunately, you can't predict the disease and you don't know what is going to be the right thing for not just you as a family, but for your parent or the person you're looking after. And ultimately, with us girls all being in our 20s and 30s, it became so much of a commitment that we were almost stopping living our own life to look after mum. And so we had a really long chat over the last year about what we should do and what the best options were. And with regards to us and mum, the best option for us as a family was for her to go into a specialist facility to for her care to be continued there. That's the summary. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so much. I've got so many questions. I'm going to dart around a bit. At the point, well, first of all, and this is me with patchy knowledge, had she had depressed, had she had patches of depression prior to dementia? And do they often, do they often come hand in hand or not at all? 
I'm not 100% sure on that, and don't quote me on this, but I think it can be quite easily misconstrued because the very early stages of Alzheimer's are just sort of behavioural changes. And so I think people just immediately revert to thinking, well, it must be depression because she's acting a bit out of character and it doesn't seem like her, so she's obviously depressed. And my parents had had quite an intense breakup a few years prior, and it was all sort of linked back to that. Um, But ultimately, I think you know someone parent very very well and us girls were still living at home when mum was diagnosed so we really knew what was going on and and the behavioural changes were very extreme that it wasn't really even I don't know why people even considered it to be depression because it was very different the symptoms were completely different but ultimately depression is still something wrong with your brain if you think about it of course the two things could quite easily be crossed over and I'm sure they are with many other families as well. And then where at the point of diagnosis was she a were you able to have any of those forward facing conversations with her about what what the future of her care looked like or did things happen quite fast i i suppose a mixture of both like she as i said she was so like furious and and really sad she would cry with like absolute fury about the whole thing she would often burn her letters that were sent to her and I had to speak to the doctor and be like, can you not send them to my mum because I'm not getting them. I don't know what the when the next appointments are. So she really was against it being an issue. And it I probably took her a good year to process it and sort of accept it. But my mum before dementia was so happy and like jolly. I really struggled like talking about her pre- Yeah, as well as must be so difficult. Because you get used to her as what she is now, and it's hard to remember what she was. But obviously, she was a brilliant person. Um, and so she actually coped really well after the first year, and she was so positive. She would laugh at the silly things she did, and she, we would make light of, like, the stupid things, like putting her coat on backwards or her bra under her boobs or whatever. So we did make a joke of it. Like, we used to be able to laugh about the things she was doing wrong, and she did as well. So... After the sort of the first year of her being in denial, she, from then on, she was just like, she took it so well. She would cry on the odd occasion, but on the whole, she was a really positive person with regards to her disease. And I asked her when she was turning 60, if I could start documenting it and start using Instagram as a way of showing the disease and showing how we were coping with it as a family. And she was like, oh, well, I'd be famous. <laughs> um And so, yeah, so that's how the Instagram account started. And it was agreed upon with me and my mum that it was, she was happy with me posting about it and stuff. So it was always something we discussed in the earlier years, yeah. So that must be so difficult to remember this isn't her and to, to, um, yeah, and yeah, I mean, I can't even really imagine. You're in this, putting words in your mouth, but in this very... You kind of want to grieve the person that she was, but you can't grieve. It's very difficult to grieve someone who's still living. But you, yeah, it's um, it's a absolutely mad. I mean, this is this is the tragedy of this illness, I think. And and I, I, apart from the um, the falls, I assume her body's relatively well. Is it? Yeah, it is, and I that's the probably the biggest struggle with it being early onset. Most people accept. Um, some forms of dementia or Alzheimer's as part of an aging process and obviously as you age you deteriorate physically as well 
And so with mum being young, she was still coming to my CrossFit gym and training. She would still want to go on long walks. I took her swimming right into the later years. Like she really wanted to stay active. She'd always been very athletic when she was younger, when we were little kids. And so for her to that have to lose those things was totally against her desires and her wills and her body still now roams. She just constantly moves and walks. She doesn't sit still all day. She'll walk for 12, 14 hours until basically she's so exhausted she sleeps. And so her body is desperate to be moving and she's she is clearly one of the youngest in the home that she's in and she is clearly the most able-bodied person there. And it is devastating to see that side of it because obviously her age is working against the disease killing her brain so that is a really hard part of it for sure but it puts and it puts you in this impossible just impossible position because I think we all accept that in our later years of our life that looking after our parents is is part of the gig but you've had to do that as you say so prematurely I think you've made such a brave and important decision and it's important to talk about the decision to put her in you know in the facility that she's in because you've got to also I would think remember what she would want for you you know she she's your mum and and if I yeah I don't know I, and I would hate to be presumptive but she would want you all to be living your lives as best you can as well. This it's absolutely yeah it's impossible and have you as your Stop. If anything, uh, just to add, if anything in this is too personal and you go away and think, oh, I don't want that in there, we can edit. But it's a real challenge for you as sisters as well because you're you're trying to navigate something so complex, and you're all again any any type of grief and any kind of challenge you want to navigate that in your own individual ways it must be really difficult. Yeah. That that's definitely become a little bit more difficult in the last year or two. Obviously, COVID made things so impossible. Um, only one of my sisters was living at home through lockdown, but I was basically the other sister that would come in and share the the, the sort of workload of caring for mum. And thankfully, the month before lockdown, we actually got a live-in carer, which genuinely saved our lives, I think, mum's life. Um, so the two of us, there's four of us in total, were basically looking after mum for a period of probably about four or five months. And that was very, very stressful and very intense mum started to um, progress with the disease quite significantly because there was so little stimulus for her. Obviously, she wasn't allowed out. She wasn't allowed to the dementia cafes and going on walks and swimming. So she started to become a lot worse. That's when her psychosis and things started to really increase. When we were struggling to get hold of doctors to get medication, obviously, because everyone is inundated with COVID problems. And so that, that period of time became very intense for my sisters and I. Thankfully, we've grown up as an extremely close family. We're all of us within seven years of each other. Um, and my mum was the sort of person that was like, everyone has to muck in. And that ingrained in us from a young age. And so we just dealt with it. We just cracked on and we did manage it. And we had a rotor system where you did one weekend and then work through the sisters. And so the next, on the fourth weekend, you were back. And so you worked, worked, I say, but you cared for mum Friday to Monday every fourth week. We obviously had to be prepared if one person wanted to go away for a while, then you had to sort of cover that person's shift. Um, the carer obviously doesn't work Friday to Monday, so it was we were on our own. And as mum got worse and worse and her sight started to deteriorate more with the PCA, um, her anger and aggression levels started to increase, it became just brutal. There isn't another word for it. It was just horrific. 
Um, I was on the phone to Crisis, who said they couldn't help me. The doctor was just absolutely useless. No one would assess her. And it, I would just fight for hours. My sister was like, can I do anything? Like, we were just trying to figure out who could do what. It was just brutal. It was so, so tough. And it took us probably a three or four month period to finally get a doctor, consistently the same doctor, to eventually refer us to the mental health team and mum to be prescribed the correct medication which now is the right amount and it has worked and it has settled her down and she's so manageable now she's so calm and she just has gone back to her caring nature that she she was years and years ago so it it is a blessing even though she doesn't really know who we are that she isn't in such a state of distress which was just causing her so much upset um and us girls of course seeing our mum like that was awful as well so we, I would say the last 18 months has been a massive test for me and my sisters. I definitely feel we've come to a point where we're at a really a level where we're all on the same page with mum and where this disease is going and, and sort of where we're going to end up in the next year or so or whenever the, the disease obviously takes hold of mum completely. So, of course, it's a management thing, but I wouldn't wish to do it on my own. No, I mean, actually, yeah, that's why being from a big family yeah it's, i'm grateful yeah it's a, it's a blessing and um i mean hats off to you it's, you're in this thing whenever i talk to people in these kind of challenging situations where i want to say you're amazing but you're you're amazing because it's been thrust upon you you know it's like not you've not elected into this i you know we all hope that we'd rise to the challenges you have but it's yeah it's an unbelievable task and trying to manage your own feelings amongst that because you know to brace yourself every time for your mum not to recognize you is is just unfathomable it really is yeah I'm, I'm blown away by it but what have you I'm trying I always want to kind of well dig into a few things has it taught you anything about yourself, about life, about the system? What, what's, I mean, I'm sure it's taught you endless things, but what are the things that come to mind? Um, I suppose the first thing is p- being patient um, and perspective. They're probably the two things that I would say, caring for someone, regardless of their disease, I'm sure, but especially with Alzheimer's, you have to be patient. It's, you have to remember it's a disease and it's not a person. The carer that used that was living in with mum used to say, you, "It's harder for you girls because you love her, so you're going to get frustrated when she or when she lashes out at you." And so patience is the main thing. If you can learn <laughs> to stay patient and laugh at those horrible situations, manage a horrible like the horrible disease that it is, you can manage it a lot better. And then perspective, I think that combined with the the whole lockdown situation with COVID, I came out of lockdown and I my my view on life and what I wanted for my life and where I saw things going completely changed I was very much wrapped up in trying to juggle various businesses juggle caring for my mum eating out of Tupperware and just rushing around through life and actually I gave me enough time to sit back and realize what is important the main thing was spending time with mum whilst I still had it and spending time with my family and and chatting about the woman that she was how we were going to look after her in the years to come. And so I think the main things that I've learned in the later stages especially is having a, a clearer vision of what is important in your life 
because unfortunately you don't get to decide when someone becomes terminally ill and something like Alzheimer's is so like you say it's such a lengthy grief process that you won't necessarily know when you're how your days are numbered you just have to manage each day as it comes and so finding a balance of looking after your parent or your loved one and looking after yourself is the biggest thing and so figuring out what is important to you and what makes you happy and what keeps you balanced and what keeps you you know healthy they were they were like the big take-home things that I've sort of learned in the last year or so and I know this sounds weird but I'm sort of grateful for having gone through the process as we have as a family as Instagram as like a platform to share it because we have learned so much from it and it has matured us as as women it's matured us as sisters it's made us become much thicker skinned um, and more tolerant to things that don't necessarily go your way so there are weird silver linings I suppose in the whole process of grief and dealing with such a horrible disease but I, I do honestly just wish that more was done around the disease. The, the care system is very flawed, unfortunately, with someone with dementia. And it is very difficult to get them the, the care that they really need with dignity. A lot of the disease, unfortunately, they lose a lot of dignity in the process. And society hasn't yet accepted that younger people can get this disease. So there's a lot of sort of turning a, a blind eye to it or pretending it hasn't happened or almost making someone feel a little bit unwelcome. And that was very much the case in the early years with mum. And it was very difficult because you had to explain why she was pulling her pants down or why she was not sure what money she needed out of her purse. Mm. And, and the more awareness that we can build around it being in a brain disease and not an ageing disease is so, so important yes. to allow people to come to terms with it and help people with it. Yeah, it's so true. I think in these cases, and again, I'm just filling in gaps, but people... Is one of those things that is so uncomfortable that people just don't want to think and talk about it because I think we all live in fear that it could happen to any of us or any of our family. And it, yeah, yeah, people just tend to shy away from that, don't they? But as you say, we, we, I think, um, the conversation around mental health generally has moved forward and we understand Alzheimer's and aging, but we're yet to, to, join those dots and I, mm-hmm. I I would love to be one of those well-researched podcasters who has some facts but I'm imagining this is far more common than we realize yeah it, it really is and you only start to recognize that when you're in it so obviously through Instagram and there's a Facebook page that um, is specific to PCA either family members or sufferers themselves and it's been a huge wealth of knowledge. Like it's given me so much more information around the disease, specifically PCA, but also how many people get it. Some people are in their forties. That is absolutely devastatingly frightening. And some people die within three or four years. Some people live for 10, 12 years. No one can tell you what the, what the road will be that you have to travel. And that's the hardest part for me. This is a very broad and vague comparison, but when you get terminal cancer, the doctors typically know how long you have. And so I feel like you can come to terms with it, you can do the things you want and you can speak to the people you want. Whereas with dementia and brain diseases, that no one knows because you can't research a living brain. You can't look into a brain like that and understand what's going on. And so understanding the behaviours is the least we can do because you don't know how long that person has and you don't know the way that disease is going to attack their brain. So it is a really difficult one to deal with. 
But I think we need to have a much more bro- like a broader vision in understanding how young people are that are getting dementia and Alzheimer's now and how important it is as a society to learn to deal with those things and be okay with the, the more uncomfortable conversations that maybe need to be had. I'm wondering whether sometimes some of the early symptoms get palmed off as just, just oh, you know, just losing it a bit, or for women particularly, oh, a bit menopausal or a bit, yeah. And I, I'd actually, when I'm talking to you, a, a healthy brain, I'd, Yes, we might not be as cognitively quick as we were in our youth, but I don't, I don't think we should make light of, of those kind of behaviours. Yeah, not at all. And I think, well, our mum, I can speak on behalf of my mum, she was so scatty even when we were young. She'd forget to pick us up from school and things. So I often question how young she really started showing symptoms because everyone mum was just forgetful and I mean as far as we know it could have been a really slow process but she may well have got it in her early 50s some years before she was diagnosed so unfortunately the research just isn't there yet to diagnose early stages and the early stages are the stages where they are most likely to be able to help delay the disease and so the earlier people are diagnosed the easier it is for science to help you know delay the onset of Alzheimer's as it were whereas they're catching it at a later stage and unfortunately, there aren't enough. There isn't enough medication or proven medication to really help slow the progress. And so, the earlier things are caught and things are recognised, the more likely I think science will and doctors will be able to help with those um, patients, kind of thing. So, instead of palming off and being like, "Oh, they're forgetful," why don't we have a system in place where they are checked earlier on, and and maybe the medications can be applied earlier to help prevent it getting worse quicker. So. That's the big gap at the moment, I would say, diagnosis and treatment, basically. It must be so difficult as well because these things end up coming with a bit of shame. You know, it's the same with everything, isn't it? But you, she, yeah, her own forgetfulness, you, we end up lying to, not lying, that feels awful, but we, we don't want to admit things to ourselves. Um, but I think there is such an important message there of, if something feels even slightly off, do we know that in ourselves when it happens? It's really hard to know. But, yeah, it is important just not to ignore these things. So there is help that can be done. It is, I mean, of course it's the case, but the earlier you get help, the better the prognosis. Basically, yeah. What What does early help look like then? Medication? Um, so so there, are, there are some medications that are used in the very early stages and they are meant to delay the um the progress basically but each Alzheimer's is is different and so some of them are to do with plaques in the brain and some is to do with um blood vessels dying and so different medications are available for the different types but obviously the further through you are once you're diagnosed the less likely those drugs are going to help you and so mum was put on those drugs so it was called denepazil in when she was diagnosed but unfortunately within a few months a, it wasn't really helping anything as far as we were concerned, and B, it was giving her bad headaches. So she was like, can I stop taking them? And ultimately, the disease is only going one way, and it was kind of her decision, and we spoke to the doctors, and they were saying, they basically said, yeah, if she doesn't want to take them, there's no real proof to say they do a huge amount, unfortunately. So we're still, what well, we're nearly 10 years on, and there's not really been any progress um, with treatment or medication for early onset at all. And that would probably be the main thing because at least you could give someone a little bit of mm-hmm. hope that in their 50s that could still enjoy a little bit more of mm-hmm. their life. 
all started to really take hold. And and sit longer in that place of a bit of self-awareness of what's coming, which does allow people to have some control about how the final stages of their life, however long that final bit is, looks. And I think, you know, I've done a... a done an amazing podcast with um a, a death doula and a funeral director and you know we really underestimate or we we turn a blind eye to the end of life care in this country again on a, whatever scale that is and you know yeah it deserves all the care attention focus that that birth does you know we we should all exit this life in the best way possible with all the tools and i think that's really important but really bleak. I'm so sorry. I'm really aware of not pushing too hard on you. Is is it um is it hereditary? Is it something that you have to you and your sisters have to be aware of? Um, they never said it was, and there was an option. I think. Forgive me, because I my brain has almost turned to mush with so many hospital visits over the years. But I I think there was an option for them to do sort of blood tests. I can't 100% remember, but ultimately I think my sisters and I would rather be ignorant to it. It's such a horrible disease with no real hope at the end of it. So I would rather not know, if I'm honest, if I'm going to get Alzheimer's. So even if we were to have the gene, let's say, if you're then going to get it, do you know what I mean? It's the same like chance of maybe getting cancer. Like You can't really predict your future. So we all decided we weren't going to get tested for anything. Um, but I imagine, unfortunately, one in four of us might well get it. So we're all sort of like vaguely living in this fearful position where we might end up with it. But we're all very open about it. Um, our partners are so supportive as well. So, Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What will be will be. And actually, you know, it kind of circles back with all those small silver linings that you talked about, the learning to be, I guess, mindful is the word, isn't it, but patient and, and make the most of your life as it is now. That's really the best you can hope for with any life, you know, to go about it in in the way that, yeah, that is best. Exactly. It definitely, like, opened our eyes to things like how many people now live until they're 65 and then, like, work until they're 65 and then try and live. I'm like, well, my mum didn't get that choice. She was 55. She hadn't retired. She still was looking after her kids at home. Like, so don't stop living because you don't necessarily know what your life will be like in your later years. Do the things you want to do now. Like you, you don't know what's going to happen. And it, and it needs to be more spoken about. People need to be aware that those things do happen and not hide from them. You can't stop it. You can't prevent it. So, And that was one of the big reasons why we ended up putting mum into a care facility. Because, like you said earlier, we at some point need to live our own life. So it was a big factor was agreeing upon that as a group, as the four of us. And we definitely came to unanimous decision in that we want to start our own families. We're in our early 30s, late 20s now, and we can't and couldn't keep looking after mum the way it was at home. It wasn't right for her and it wasn't right for us. And so people often ask me now through mum's social media, like, when did you, how did you know? And every family is different and no one should ever judge someone on what they decided because you don't know the situation that they're in as a group. 
And so as long as the person who is in the position, they're cared for at the highest possible ability, then the decision has to be made on that on that kind of thing. Um, and with the timing of mum's sort of as she was getting so much worse and her falls were happening more frequently at home, that combined with us wanting to sort of make that next step in our own lives, it was such a unanimous decision as a family to put mum into a home. Um, and she's so much safer there. She's had a few more falls, but the response is obviously immediate. There's a nurse there, the ambulance is called so quickly. Whereas when it happened at home, it was so stressful. Ambulance came, they had to carry her down the stairs on a chair, had to take her to A&E. I wasn't allowed in because of COVID. Like all of these things were just so challenging. And it was so eye-opening to me to realise that actually mum wasn't safe at home. And it was more us girls holding on to her, being our mum in our house keeping her there rather than for the right reasons so I think going off on a bit on a tangent here but if anyone is listening and that isn't sure what what step is the right step it has to be something that feels best for you and for that person. and what is at the forefront of our mind is whatever decision we make it's for mm-hmm. mum and we were being selfish keeping her mm-hmm. at home unfortunately that's such a um yeah back to front but important life lessons just because something doesn't feel easy doesn't mean it's the wrong decision it's very difficult to wrangle your own selves with that and yeah well done you guys for like checking in with what your motivation was and and it's with with life decisions like that it can just shift in in a relatively short space of time can't it you can be like oh this is this is the right decision oh no now that is the right decision it just yeah but that's Mm -hmm. the amazing thing about you guys working together that you've got this kind of united front of intuition on on where the lines were I guess um how does like the Instagram account what does what does that bring you has it been has it been a big shift for you have you found support through it yeah it's it's been massive I say it regularly on my post, I never expected it to be what it is now. It's kind of like, I suppose it's a bit of um, a bit of two things. It's maybe a bit of a support group for some people. Um, and it's obviously a huge learning tool for others. Some people message regularly, you know, I never knew this, what it looked like. I never understood Alzheimer's. I was totally oblivious to it being this or how young your mum is. And, and obviously it is more difficult in the later stages. You are showing more of the the harsh harsh truths of what this disease looks like whereas in the early stages it was just the you know dropping something or spilling something or not eating something properly and so I am more mindful now about what I'm posting is it helpful to me is it helpful to those seeing it and I obviously have to be mindful of my sisters and like you said earlier we all grieve differently and we all take things differently and just because I've seen something firsthand and filmed it doesn't necessarily mean it needs to go on social media is the answer and my sister and I had a good chat about that recently but she's also very conscious that I use it as as a tool to let my my way it's my way of dealing with it and it's also my way of keeping a record of it it's always going to be there it's always something for me to look back on and I'm so glad I started filming her five years ago because otherwise I don't remember you don't remember these things like every day just blurs into the next and even looking back two three years ago the the amount her disease has come on is is frightening and if I'd not filmed that and kept a record of it I wouldn't have remembered what mum was like so it has such a a huge impact on me on other people who see it 
so glad that I had the foresight to do it back then and I've kept it up because it is such a great place for me to a let my feelings out and b let other people see what's really going on in in the world of Alzheimer's well that's the thing again that so much of this like domestic load as for want of a better piece of language does happen behind closed doors you know in all kinds of caring roles you just don't see it you just don't we we, we just don't know that it's happening and and it is you know I don't know what the stats are again about carers in the UK but it'll be huge numbers of people living versions of what you're going through and Mm -hmm. yeah it's absolutely heartbreaking to look at that account but that is part of what being a human is and we can't you know I think for me I'm really passionate again in this kind of glossy facade of social media where people are so preoccupied with so many of the wrong things of material possessions of how things look on the outside it's really really important to puncture it and valuable to puncture it with with real life because none of that stuff is relevant it's it's how yeah you show love to the people closest to you yeah and I think ultimately as well you have a choice right you have a choice of who you follow what you follow and what you read and what you see and and in reality it's real life like you can't sugarcoat it you can't pretend and take a nice glossy photo of mum and say everything's going great it's just what's happening it's being honest and it's helped hundreds probably thousands of people have messaged over the years and said thanks for posting this I'm I needed to see what was coming or I needed to know what's happening for my mum and then the questions come and they the sort of relief that they get from having someone else that's going through it whereas five years ago people didn't talk about it and so it was shut yourself at home get on with it live through that horrible process on your own and don't talk about it to anyone and diseases should never be felt like that you should never ever feel like you're going through a disease on your own whether you're suffering or your family is suffering I think social media can be a brilliant platform to help people a understand different diseases and b understand that it's real life and it's a way of dealing with it and you can't pretend it's not happening couldn't agree more there are two lovely insights I got from the space one you talking about that constant feeling of connection with her like that she's in the back of your mind which I, I again I don't feel like it's spoken about much we hear a lot about it in the parental love from parents down to their children but I I kind of am in awe of the full circle-ness of it that you're feeling that constant she, that, that twitchy feeling in the back of your mind where she's you're always occupied yeah I think and I think Mm -hmm. that must be unbelievably exhausting but also I find it kind of moving that that she's with you so much yeah we've all discussed that as a family and it it's hard because it's a feeling of guilt I suppose a feeling of I should be there we sort of liken it to sending your kid to nursery and being like oh god are they going to be looked after are they are they okay um I especially have found it difficult letting go of mum's care in that 24-hour sort of period because it almost is a a role that I not enjoy, but I I feel like I need to do. It's my way of dealing with it, I suppose. I'm very hands-on, I'm very practical. And so it took me a long time to accept that I couldn't do those things and she was getting that care in a home and I could now see her as my mum again rather than this, you know, this person that I was looking after. So, um it is it is always in our mind it is every day you wake up and you think is she all right is she had a fall what's happened what's going on 
I suppose because we've grown with the disease and we've been there every step of the way, we maybe feel that more strongly than other people. Like you said, like, every person is having to deal with it differently. No, There is no right way to deal with someone with Alzheimer's. People have different jobs, they have different lives. We, we were very lucky in that there were four of us. Three of us were self-employed, and so we had flexible hours. And so we did manage to tag team it and look after mum at home for seven years. But ultimately, not many families are going to have the capacity to do that. So that feeling of guilt will probably sit with most people in in some form. But for us, it's it's just there because we want to look after her and we want to love her. Um, and so that's probably the hardest part of letting someone's care go to someone else because you do constantly worry. You do constantly think about them. You don't need me to say this, but you're you are still giving her wraparound care by making sure putting the best place people there to do it. It's not that you've relinquished that you've you've done the smart decision by putting the the best facilities and care that you can. But it, but it's yeah, you're right. It's it's exactly like the 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 um, nursery thing. It's like you know logic. Your logical mind knows one thing, but your emotional self yeah. feels something else. But it's. Yeah, I just don't think we hear about that that the other way around, and it is exactly the same. And uh, yeah, and that it's it's the same kind of guilt. And my last thing is, I saw a post with you saying about you're enjoying feeding her. Would you talk more about that? Yeah, I suppose it's like I said, like I've had this, I've this made this role for myself where I am a carer for mum, and I've I've found a real sense of purpose in being that. And so now her care, as in her washing, her bathing, her cleaning and stuff is mostly dealt with by the staff at the home. It is, she can't feed herself at all. She stopped being able to use cutlery about two years ago because she couldn't see it. Um, And so it was just easier for her to do finger food. So I remember going out to restaurants with her and being like, who cares that someone's looking at her eating with her hands? I was like, I couldn't give a shit (laughs) the language. But I was like, if she needs to eat with her hands, then so be it. And as the new carer came in, she's a Filipino lady and she was great. She ate rice with her fingers and was happy for mum to do the same. And and so we we became very conscious of what foods were easier for mum to eat with her hands. And we started to make sure that all her meals were finger foods and things that she enjoyed. Um, whereas now she can't see at all and she can't use her hands very well. She'll often hold your hand <laughs> as you try and feed her. Um, but it's, you're caring for them. You're looking after them. You're feeding like looking after a baby in a strange you know that you're doing something that is good for them and so being able to feed her and while she still takes on solid foods I want to keep doing that because she won't always eat unfortunately with Alzheimer's eventually she will stop eating food she will stop drinking and she will stop swallowing and unfortunately that is where the disease takes you now if it's something I can do and it gives me pleasure and it gives her health then I'm going to carry on doing it and thankfully we've had some good chats with the home and they're they're pretty good at changing things around to make food very easy for mum to eat. And we've had some good discussions about some options for her and what the best foods are that she enjoys and stuff. And so we always make sure she's got plenty of bounties and chocolate hobnobs and some of her favourite things. She loves melon and everything's cut up into pieces that we can hand feed her. So, yeah, that is something I will I will hope to keep enjoying for, yeah. the, for the time being. I know it will eventually go. Yeah, but it's such a kind of... Even if it's not in the way that you want it to be, you know, eating as a family in in whatever way is it's it's very pure, isn't it? And I, yeah, and who yeah. wouldn't want it? You have to take the small wins at the end of Alzheimer's. Unfortunately, there are very few enjoyments 
And so something as simple as giving someone a chocolate bar is is a really nice yeah, thing to do. Yeah, it's like uncomplicated love, isn't it? Giving someone their favourite foods. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And this is a bad segue, but I'm really interested. Obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a bit of the CrossFit in, but how how mm. all of this shows up in in like your work and your and the the things that you in crossfit and exercise has it changed the way you train does it make you want to train differently you know because there's so much headspace involved with that yeah it does um i used to train twice a day i used to train super super hard i used to train with the intent of competing at the highest level and i did that right the way up until covid I then did it for the first few months of lockdown. I made sure I was still, I had bits in mum's garage at home that I could still train. And then slowly but surely I started to weigh up what was more important. Did I want to get up and beast myself at 5am when I'd been up late at night with mum? No, I didn't. And it became more of a chore to train than an enjoyment. And I always used exercise in the early years as a release, as a way of just shutting my head off and just getting on with something that made me feel good. And so I've gone full circle and I'm back at the point now where I'm, I'm still doing some fun comps and I'm still training hard, but it is not a priority for me. And I, I do what I want to rather than what I have to. Um, and I'm still fit and I'm still strong and it, it hasn't taken any of that away from me. And I never identified myself as a professional athlete in any form. I'm a gym owner, I'm a sports therapist um, and I'm a carer. And so for me, exercise needs to be an outlet, not a, not a stressful situation. And so I very much enjoy CrossFit and training for what it is, which is something that's good for me, something that makes me feel strong and something that gives me a clear mind. Um, and so I get my enjoyment a lot more out of A, feeling fit and strong, but B, coaching other people into feeling good. And I, I've definitely gone that full circle of being an athlete and now being more a coach. I get so much pleasure out of coaching people to do things and seeing their progress and knowing that I've been there and I've worked hard myself, but I'm happy just exercising for the sake of exercise now. And it's a really like, it's a really empowering feeling because I don't have to stress about going in at 6am to train. I can, I can train when it works for me and when I can fit it around seeing mum and stuff. So I feel very lucky that I've had that time to process it during lockdown. I feel like I'm completely in control of of my life now with regards to exercise and training yeah an such a, 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 it's a it's a it's a great shift to have made and to go and and yeah to allow yourself that but also I'm hearing you talk about coaching there's I'm sure some of the challenges you faced as a carer will make you a, a better coach a, a brilliant coach because that is the thing that people miss about the the important role of exercise if you're if you've got a relationship with your coach like that you're showing up with all your life stuff bubbling under the surface you're extremely vulnerable and that the exercise serves to to help you yeah feel grounded and be better in your mind and so be able to hold space for people with their vulnerabilities and but also to know when to push them you know this is exactly it yeah and I enjoyed I enjoy, very much enjoy coaching and PTing and treating one-on-one -on -one and rehabbing people because I like focusing my energy on something. I don't want to sit with my thoughts and feel miserable about my poor mum. I want to use the knowledge that I have and the things that I've gained in my experience as an athlete and as a coach and a therapist. And it is honestly, I throw myself into it all the time. I'm never bored of it. I think it's, I'm very lucky to have a job that allows me to see people improve and not just sit at a desk all day behind a computer worrying about the woes of life. Like I couldn't 
be in a better position to deal with the situation I'm in with my mum and my family and the people that I do work with my mum was a big part of my gym in the early years they know what's going on they they know what my family is like and I'm very lucky our CrossFit gym is a complete community it's very supportive and I just feel extremely fortunate to have something I love and I'm so passionate about work so well Mm. in my life and my family and also just to again I'm projecting my things onto you but like to hugely value health it's just like you know yeah we're lucky to be healthy exactly that and it, it for me to be able to not enforce that on people but remind people that we're in control of what our bodies are capable of and how well we look after them is completely down to us you don't know what what diseases are going to come your way in the years to come so the least we can do is look after our health and our physical health now and so that is a massive thing for me it's something that I will always want to help people with and remind people of because ultimately you only get one body and looking after it is the the best thing you can do because you don't know what's no and fitness gets so pulled away from that sometimes isn't that absolutely mad I do this because it's going to keep me my body healthy for longer and and in turn my mind but you know all the rest of it is ultimately quite irrelevant even if you're an athlete I actually had Sarah Sigmund's daughter on here and she said uh, she's rehabbing from that injury and she said she had a real moment where she realized all the dinners she hadn't been to with her family because she was training and just remembering that she's Sarah not a crossfitter and again it sounds really obvious but it's so when you're so in any form of life that you're tunnel vision on, you can be so focused on that. And as you said earlier, that, oh, I'll just do this. In five years' time, when I get this, I'll do this. And when I retire, I'll do this. And when, yeah, I've done this comp, I'll be back to being the, a person for the people that I love. And it's just the opposite is true. <laughs> we all need to remember that the, the life bit is the, all the bits around that. You're training for life, right? You're not training to go to the Olympics at the end of the day. Very few people are in this world. So if you're not enjoying it and if it's becoming a stressful part of your day, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Like for me, that's where that circle I went through through lockdown. Exercise is a release. Exercise makes you feel good and it makes you healthy. If you're doing it and it's beating you up and it's wearing you down, (laughs) it's not what it needs to be. So, and we had doctors say to us, we think you've, like the fact you've kept your mum healthy and exercising and taking her swimming in these later stages is absolutely incredible. You've basically kept your mum healthy and her life better in her later years because she's much stronger and more able-bodied. And the fact that I was able to do that because I had A, the time and B, the capacity with the, obviously, access to our own gym. I'm I'm so chuffed that I managed to do that with her. Even the days I would scream because she would throw a wall ball into someone's <laughs> head because she didn't see I'm just like, I I did it. Like, I helped her keep moving. She wanted to keep moving. And what a great thing to be able to look back on and say, look, I kept my mum healthy. And and it's why she managed to live a much happier, healthier life at home for as long as she did. And you had the physical capacity to do it. Because I'm imagining it's physically quite hard work sometimes as well. Very, yeah. Physically moving, moving a human, an adult around you're picking them up half the time you're rolling them or you're getting them in and out of the bath my sisters and I laugh that we had to often pick mum out of the bath I'm like at least you all do crossfit I'm strong <laughs> like so absolutely as a carer who has physically moved people you need to look after yourself and be strong and healthy or else you're useless at your job so the two were perfect they I mean they've 
hand in hand for the years that we've had to deal with. Life's, life's a funny old game, isn't it? It really is. It's just, it just isn't what yeah. you think it's going to be. And the sooner you make peace with that, the better off you're going to be. So as we like kind of wind towards the end, what would your one message kind of be for anyone listening? Um, I've obviously pressed it a few times that just do the things that make you really, really happy. Don't expect life to go the way you think it's going to go and be okay with change. Be okay with dealing with, with rubbish thrown your way and, and take it in your stride. Yes. I mean, that's, yeah, it is a gift to figure that out. Some people get to a lot older than you and not work that much out. It is it's uncomfortable. Mm. The, the most, yeah the the best lessons come through the worst stuff don't they where can people find you on the internet or anywhere (laughs) not not your Um, address (laughs) there's various places but so mum's account is called day in the life of laws which is just one word and then i'm hat underscore hewitt and you can basically find my different accounts through there obviously like you said i run map online and i have cross at watford and so there's various Instagram accounts that I use, but if you're interested in Alzheimer's, then Day in the Life of Laws yeah. is where you want to head. Um, and obviously help me spread the word of this horrible disease and hope that one day we'll we'll find a cure for it. Yes. And I, I can't push it. I'm going to push very hard on people following that account because I think... I think it's it's think it's really important, and I think you're doing something absolutely yeah remarkable. And my last quite hard com- question, sorry, um, is if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be, and what would you say? Mm. I've always wanted to talk to David Attenborough, David Attenborough, because I've always been an animal lover. Um, me and Cat, as you know, my friend Cat, um, we've always been desperate to meet the man. And I would just pick his brains on global warming and all of it, yeah, life and what we can do to help make this world a better place. So you always panic though that if I found myself next to David Attenborough, I would just literally think I have nothing in my mind whatsoever and ask him the most stupid question. But maybe, in fact, I've missed it out at the beginning of the episode. My go-to question is, what is your favourite biscuit? I'd ask David that, but I'm now going to ask you, what's your favourite biscuit? It is the Jammy Dodger with the cream it's in the middle. It's a classic. It's a classic. Yeah. <laughs> Good choice. You've gone for a very retro choice. Well, thank you so much, Hat. I know that this is really hard going conversation, but I think it's it's so valuable. And I'm really honoured that you were prepared to open up in this way. Thank you, Clemmy. I appreciate it. <sighs> well, that made me feel, I mean, emotional, which isn't really my right to feel emotional is it this is something for Hat and her family but uh, it's it's hard to know how to navigate an interview like that because I'm really keen to get to the truth and the the rawness of an experience but I also don't want to drive a guest to tears so I was dancing that line but uh, yeah Alzheimer's is, is brutal isn't it and so misunderstood any kind of caring role is an epic not achievement isn't the right word is is a remarkable thing to do um but caring for a parent when they're still so young and sitting in that anticipatory grief is brutal beyond words so yeah my heart goes out to Hat and her sisters and to anyone else in the same experience really do urge you to go and check out her Instagram account it is 
humbling and um, a great way of getting perspective but also just showing as I mentioned in the episode showing you a world that sometimes we're not party to which is a real privilege and that's a wrap thank you so much for listening to But Why so grateful to have these conversations especially ones like that that I kind of get that second hand sense of perspective you know the rest of my day I'm going to really be able to hold on to what is actually important in life and that's amazing please do get in touch on but why at comedytelford.com rate review subscribe share share it far and wide i'm actually off to have a shower now as i mentioned i didn't manage to have one before that interview i come straight from the gym but i knew that hat would understand so that's okay so i'm gonna go and get clean and hopefully have a productive day wishing you the same and catch up with you next week Bye bye